this is my baby. Like, I don't want to shave my baby's head and get rid of all the good parts, right? Yeah, that's the weird metaphor that came into my brain. Welcome to the Books We Love podcast of the Troy Public Library. Today we are talking about Holes by Lewis Satcher. And we are talking with April, the president of our Friends of the Troy Public Library, our heroes. They do everything for us. We really appreciate our friends. If you have ever come to any of our library programs, they have most likely been sponsored by the Friends of the Library. Not everybody knows that. I think Mm -hmm. everybody thinks that the library just pays for everything. But Mm -hmm. really, when it comes to programming, the Friends pay for everything. So they will pay for the crayons at a program for kids they'll pay for construction paper they'll pay for all that little stuff yeah all the way up to our presenter fees which can uh, you know if we have yeah they can be very expensive if we have a fancy pants author come visit they're going to pay for that I mean they will pay for they raise the money for all of our programming and we are so so grateful to them so they do that in a couple ways they have the little bookshop where you first walk in and it's right to the left of the circulation desk when Uh you walk in the main front doors yep so they have friends volunteers manning that so Mm -hmm. please come in there and buy stuff and then they have the most glorious basement bookshop you have ever seen on the weekends Mm -hmm. on saturdays between 10 and 1 and sundays between 1 and 4 p.m people often ask us what happens with the books that they donate to Mm -hmm. the library those go down to the basement the friends pick through them process out and pick out the ones that um, are most likely to sell Mm -hmm. and are clean good shape and those are the ones that you're going to see in the bookshop occasionally they accept puzzles and things of that nature you can always become a member and support them that way by volunteering your time you're always welcome to make donations to groups like that Mm -hmm. i'm sure they wouldn't say no and those are all great ways that um Great things to do that would impact the library as a whole. So, total as a whole, as a whole, which is you see what I did there? Yeah, that was really good. Which brings us full circle back to holes, back to holes, the book. And the thing about one little quick last thing I want to say about the bookshop Mm -hmm. is that all the books are like a dollar fifty cents a piece. So, anyway, thank you to the uh, friends and thank you to April for being here today to talk about holes. holes. Sacker. 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 Bless. <laughs> All right, so April, thank you so much for being here today. We are talking about holes. Why did you pick this book? What is your history with it? I read it with my son when he was in fourth grade, uh-huh. and it's one of those books that just made me think, and it sticks with you. Over, over time. So even years later, it's like I remembered exactly what happened and what it was about. And um, I felt it had a real big impact on just society in general. And, um, and my son really loved it too. What, what do you think sticks with you? Do you have like a message or a theme or a scene or something that stuck with you particularly? Gosh, so much. Yeah. Um, just the story and the way the multiple storylines really intertwined together to really tell the story. So you have what happened great-great-great-grandfather ago to grandfather to great-grandfather and how it all just came together mm-hmm. kind of at the end. Almost science, science fiction-y almost. I liked that. And as a almost English major, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the symbolism and the way, the, the way they wrote it and the way he brought it together really intrigued me. I thought it was so good. I haven't read mm-hmm. this. The first time I read it, 
was um, I was a teenager and I was working at the Rochester Library shelving books and they used to let us listen to audiobooks while we shelved and it was the best. And of course I was like 14, so that was like the best thing ever. And I listened to Holes. I remembered that I liked it more than I thought I was going to like Same. it. And then I re I started rereading it the other day and I was just in immediately, like the first page, I was like gripped by it. It was such an interesting story. What's your history with it, Amanda? Um, I think it came, so it came out in 1998. So it would have been either my senior year of high school or my freshman year of college. So I was past my time of being aware of it, I guess, you know, you, you stop looking at those things. I think when you get to a certain age, at least I did, I was trying to, you know, read all the classics in college and everything. Um, <laughs> you were like, so sipping espresso. And I was sipping espresso stranger. and reading Tolstoy and <laughs> twisting my waxed mustache. And, um, I don't yeah, know why. It's time consuming. I don't really know why well. tangent. Um, <laughs> when I was in grad school, I, um, was trying to figure out, I knew I wanted to work in public libraries. I wasn't sure if I wanted to work with children or if I was going to work with adults or teens or whatever. So I started, um, going back and kind of, I felt like, well, I'm reading adult stuff that's coming out currently, but I don't have a pulse on the things that the teachers were recommending the kids read. And so this was in 2006, we still had teachers, um, in the libraries I was working at, at least at the time, um, recommending holes. Mm. I really liked the book. I really, really enjoyed this book. So I guess we should say just generally what it's about. It's about a young boy. I think he's probably 13 or 14, mm -hmm. would you say? Yeah. And he, um, his family is cursed. His great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-grandfather um, was the victim of a curse. Mm -hmm. And that has just gone down through his family. And it is just part of their family lore that they're always going to be in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And he certainly is. He's just like walking on the streets one day and a pair of fancy tennis shoes falls in his arms and it turns out that these are stolen shoes and he gets in big trouble for it and his family doesn't have a lot of money so the judge he, he doesn't get like bailed out he doesn't have an influential family that can get him out of hot water so the judge says you can either go to jail or you can go to this camp. And Stanley says, well, I've never been to camp before. I'll go to camp. <laughs> camp sounds good. Yeah. Rather than jail, sure, yeah, send me to camp. And when he gets there, he realizes it is um, not the kind of camp that we're used to. He is tasked alongside with all of his other pretty much inmates with digging mm -hmm. holes in the sand in the hot sun. And there's these crazy, wacky adult characters and then as April said, there are these other little timelines, historical timelines that are woven through. So I was doing some reading on this book and someone called it in a review, a neo-Western, which I thought was interesting. Yep. They said, yeah, so I looked into that and a neo-Western is a book or movie that has old West themes and often takes place in the West. This is in Texas in the desert like it is so hot in this book like when you're reading it he does such a good job with setting you just feel thirsty <laughs> while you're reading it and they're always thirsty and they're always sweating and tired and they're like young boys so it's like you can imagine how disgusting that would be um they also <laughs> said that the, the normal smells and then you put them in a desert <laughs> where they yeah they have to have like shower coupons to use the Gross. showers and they're just sweating um, they also said some themes in neo-Western stories are rebellion, uh, desert landscapes, I said, gunfights, 
and that sort of sense of lawlessness. And then, so they gave some other examples. Um, no Country for Old Men is a neo-Western, Breaking Bad, Mad Max, and Firefly. So, um, interesting. Yeah. So look into the neo-Western, but I think this definitely applied. And there were just some flat out Western elements to it when they oh, talked yeah. about the family, right? Yeah. That, and especially the, the timeline or this the little extra story with, um, the onion grower and the teacher. Right. That was definitely very Western. Yeah. Kiss and Kiss and Kate Barlow, right? Kiss and Kate Barlow. Kiss and Kate Barlow. Yeah. So she was like a rootin' tootin' Annie Oakley type, but mm-hmm. she doesn't start out that way. No. So this is when, when they jump to the past and they do sort of these historical stories. She's like a school marm, young school marm lady. Mm-hmm. And she falls in love with a black man and she's seen kissing him. And this is like not okay with the people, you know, like the gun townspeople. So they kill him, and then she just goes off the deep end and becomes Kissing Kate Barlow, who's this Annie Oakley type character, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. And she's known for vigilante kissing her justice. Vigilante. Why do you think the author set this in the desert? You can dig holes anywhere. Mm. Do you think he actually was actively like, you know what, I'm going to make a neo western? Symbolically, I think the desert more reflects like that poor, hardworking, mm-hmm. that kind of an environment, which is what is kind of beaded through the whole story, especially with his family, with, with his father being an inventor and working really hard and them being poor. And mm-hmm. so I think it's that desert just gives you that, that dust bowl yeah, kind yeah. of feel to it. Scarcity. And also, I just practically, I think the desert keeps them from escaping. That's mm-hmm. what they keep telling each other over and over is, or what the, the wardens keep telling them is you can run if you want to try to escape, but you won't make it very far because there's no water and we're the only ones with water. That's true. For especially, I keep th- thinking this over and over and over, that for a children's book, and this is not to denigrate children's books, I think they're the best, but it had such a rich sense of place and history, which mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. so many kids' books sometimes, the kids' whole world is school and you know, their family and their friends, but this had such like a broader view. I don't think people disagreed with you. This was a Newbery winner, which mm-hmm. means best novel for um, youth fiction the year it came out. So I guess if it came out in 98, it would have probably been awarded in 99. And then um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, that it also won the, um, uh, what's the National Book Award mm. that year as well. A lot of people don't realize the National Book Award winner can actually be a children's book. And the other thing I think <laughs> this book also does is it's it's enjoyable by a wide variety of populations. So mm-hmm. the fourth graders will enjoy it, but as an adult, I even enjoyed reading it. I so I think it, it does appeal to a great big population. And it was one of those books, we always talk about diversity in fiction, and it was one of those books where the main character, he's described as overweight in the mm-hmm. book. He is from a poor family. And it's so interesting because it's like the opposite of a wish fulfillment book. I don't think mm-hmm. that was very common, particularly in that mm-hmm. time period, to read books about kids that were disenfranchised like that. I just don't. Mm-mm. I think we were reading some other things. But it doesn't feel like um, homework. Like, it doesn't feel like a chore to read it. Mm-mm. Like, um oh, I'm reading this to check off my diversity checklist or whatever. Mm. It's a fun book to read, Mm. and it's so funny. I also feel for kids it's like it's easy to like characters that don't like themselves. 
You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, like it's, an underdog? Yeah, I feel like people like underdog stories, but it's also just like whether or not you believe in curses as a kid, I think it's funny because like it's just so random, the thing with the shoes at the beginning, right? They just like fall into his lap basically. And it's like, it's all these weird things that happen that kids, it's like, whether or not you believe that could really happen, it's so ridiculous. You kind of want to keep reading to see what's going to happen. You totally. get sucked into it being like this silly thing. And then like, he thinks he's going to camp and it's going to be this fun experience. And then it's basically a, like the gulag for children. <laughs> like you're digging holes and that's all you're doing all day. And if you're lucky, fingers crossed, you get your shower. And I think kids respond to that kind of stuff because they're like, what the heck? Like, yes. where is this going? Mm-hmm. Can this get worse for them? Is this going to get better? I got to keep reading to kind of figure out what's going to happen. He's going to get out of here. Um, so that's another thing I think is very relatable. And it's just, it's got, I think you said, um, April, I think it's just got a really good sense of humor. And the book it does. does not take itself too seriously. Mm-hmm. Except when it needs to, like when it talks about um, how Kissing Kate uh, Barlow became Kissing Kate because of racism Mm -hmm. and things like that, that are real and important topics. I think he does that. um, I think the author does that really delicately. He does. In a way that makes you respect it. Mm -hmm. He does a lot of stuff very subtly like Mm -hmm. that. I mean, he he even um, talked about at one point how uh, there's there were black kids in his in his dorm there were white kids, there was a Hispanic kid, mm-hmm. but when they come out of the holes, they all look the same. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, and, but then he, then he left, then he leaves it. I mean, he talks about the little, but then it doesn't become a, a focus in the book. Mm. It just, he mentions it and it weaves through your consciousness and then mm. it's gone. Kind of gets the wheels turning mm-hmm. subtly, like you said, but not. Yeah, that subtlety, it, and it makes the characters become full-fledged real people rather than mm-hmm. stand-ins for a message. Which yeah. that's my least. I don't know about you, Amanda. You're the you're the kids mm-hmm. book expert, but that those kids books where <laughs> the message beats you over the head. Oh my gosh! It's more common, I think, in picture books. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Like, time for Timmy the tooth kid to brush his teeth, and it's all yeah. about like brush. And I get it, children. <laughs> I get it. Children need a really <clears throat> aggressive message, especially the little ones. But sometimes there are topics that need to be covered with young children that. They don't do it in a way that it, it kind of feels insulting, even to a three-year-old where you're like, I don't even want to read this. Like, right. <laughs> but yes, there's nothing worse than when you have a good, important message that needs to be told, especially in, I find middle grade is my favorite. That's the fourth to sixth grade kind of range where it's an important message, but the author, instead of subtly weaving stuff through, making you think about it just in just like a quick mm-hmm. snippet, it's like every single page of like beating this message home. And even if I agree with the message, it's like, I'm not going to encourage a kid to read this because they're going to feel like, it almost feels like propaganda where you're like, totally, mm-hmm. this yes. is too much. We talked about that in our, where the wild things are episode, I think, or mm-hmm. Harold and the purple crane, one of Herald those and the purple crane, I think where it was like, I think it was Maury Sendak who was talking about Harold and the purple crane. Yeah. And he said, the reason it's such a great story is because there's no message. It's just a kid like navigating this world that he's creating and it's Mm -hmm. just a story and creating it as he goes. So even he doesn't know where it's going. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what kids like. Yeah. So I looked up middle grade because I was curious. I saw some places this book was called middle grade fiction and sometimes it was YA fiction. I think most people know what YA is, but middle grade is for that kind of tween Mm -hmm. age. Would you say like a fourth grader through maybe like a sixth, seventh grader. Mm -hmm. And the difference is what you would expect, middle grade fiction. Um, 
has less of the um, steamy stuff, less profanity, less violence. Uh, the main characters are usually younger. Uh, the themes are less romance and that kind of thing, and more about loyalty and friendship is a big theme in, in middle grade and bullies, mm-hmm. which this all seems to check off mm-hmm. with um, with this book. And then it says that it's not so much about self-reflection and more on the real-life situation in front of them. So literally probably like digging holes. Mm-hmm. So April, you said... <laughs> <laughs> Your son read it when he was pretty young, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in fourth grade, uh-huh. um, and he he liked it. He he perseverates on the weirdest parts of the book, so I I can't even. It would be like, well, what color is the shovel, or you know, something like that. But um, it, I read it with him, and it was really good. And I was the um, class mom, uh-huh. and they were doing the movie because that was that was the deal. They had to read the book together, and then they would watch the movie. Mm-hmm. And they needed popcorn or something. And I'm like, dang, I wish I could figure out how to make some sploosh. Yeah. So, <laughs> I could, you know, they could eat that instead. But, um, or that stew, man, that whatever beef stew it was that they were. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, with the, the big slop. Stuff. Yeah. Oh, the- <laughs> so appetizing before lunch. You're just like, Whoop. I love how, I love how outsized kids' books are. Like, not only do they just get like bean slop for lunch, it's like put directly on their tray. Sure. Like they don't even get a bowl. Uh, <laughs> it's like have fun getting into the crevices with your like jagged spoon. Spoon, yeah. <laughs> so would you say you think, April, that it's middle grade in that case? I would think it would be like more the four to six, yeah. four to six. And, and I think the big hint to me or where I think um, it really fits in that genre at that time is that. It's the kids against the adults, and the kids win Yeah, at the end. So mm-hmm. it seems like that age group likes that kind of story. They mm-hmm. like it when the kid is the underdog, and at the end, they're actually smarter than the adults, and totally. they, they figure it out. So It's um, Scooby-Doo phase. Mm-hmm. It's like where you're doing it all alone without the adult's help, but you still get to the conclusion, and mm-hmm. you still solve the mystery or mm-hmm. you know figure it out on your own with minimal adult help mm-hmm. or supervision. I mean, the adults are like the laughable characters, right? You have them crazy folks being like, dig holes, we're going to find this buried treasure. And I'm sure all the kids are like, oh, yeah, the buried treasure, wink. (laughs) But, of course, we know there actually is buried treasure. Mm -hmm. Dun, 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 for people who haven't read this yet. Yeah, and the kids are never actually told that there's buried treasure. They figured it out. Yeah. And I thought the movie did a better job of making the adults seem goofy and stupid mm-hmm. um especially mr sir the movie did a good job of that, that was john voight right is the yeah i think it was the boy then... is shia labeouf right labeouf oh did i go on a deep dive about this guy i know he's been in the news a lot he makes some but you just bad choices you google one thing about him and Rabbit it's like hole. he just had a wild life did you see that movie honey boy or have you heard of it no. it was a movie that he made in 2019 and it was loosely based on his relationship with his father his dad was a clown and he lived in a poor part of um california i think like in a suburb of la that was hard up and he his dad really wanted him to be an actor and they had like this really kind of adversarial relationship and his parents i think that the movie honey boy kind of shows that his parents loved him but they weren't great parents. So like a glass castle sort of situation mm-hmm. where it's like your parents care about you, but they're just not equipped. 
And so he, when he was a child, found an agent in the Yellow Pages and called her and pretended to be his own manager and convinced her that he was like an adult manager and convinced her to take him on as a child actor. And then he was in Even Stevens, which was a show I liked when I was a kid. It was I remember Disney that show. Mm-hmm. And then his breakout hit, um, they talked about Holes, and Andrew Davis was the director of Holes, and he wanted a new Tom Hanks, he kept saying all over, like a, a kid version of Tom Hanks, and he thought he found it in Shia LaBeouf. So he's had a crazy life, and I was thinking about sort of the parallels between his life and poor Stanley's life, about having, you know, being hard up, having this weird family. Because in, in Holes, his dad is sort of an erratic character too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's I think he's more lovable than... Mm-hmm. He's an inventor who's uh-huh. trying to recycle old sneakers. Yes. Very kid. Mm-hmm. Very funny. What's the mom do again? I forget. I think she's just momming around. She doesn't yeah. have like a big... She was the one who he, I think he had the best... Rela- his mom and him mm-hmm. had the right. best relationship because the letters always went back and forth between... Mm-hmm. Her and him. Her and him. And he lied, fibbed, I don't know what the right, to her in the letters when he wrote, when he wrote to her telling her how he was swimming and going to learn to water ski and all these things so that she wouldn't worry about him. So I thought that that was. When you protect your parents. Yeah, that that gets me. I did think it was really, it did a good job when I was watching the movie showing that when you're a kid, you think you have it really bad. And then sometimes you see another kid and how they have it in a little view into somebody else's world which i think middle mm-hmm. grade fiction does really well mm-hmm. yes and you can oh shoot i don't have it that bad like his other kids would be like stop writing to your mom no she doesn't care nobody mm-hmm. cares about you but his mom did care and would mm-hmm. read the letters and faithfully write back mm-hmm. and then he kind of got a sense like well maybe i do have more than i thought we talked about that a little bit on a different episode of the podcast where it's like you think your world is everybody's experience right yeah. you think it's like everybody's norm and then as you start growing up and maybe it's like your first sleepover or once you start hanging out more at other people's houses after school you start to realize like the way like your family's idiosyncrasies and you see other people's families and it's like oh but yeah I think that what you said just nailed it on the head middle grade is when kids start experiencing that like little touch of other people's lives to say like in their mind oh my situation's not that bad mm-hmm. or other people have this normal existence. Why is mine like this? Yeah. You know? Which right. is really interesting. Earlier when I was doing the face where I wanted to say something, Olivia, <laughs> you're really picking up and you're, you're giving me the wait a second. Let me finish my train of thought. I'm trying to get better at not interrupting April because I'm you a really, interrupter, interrupter I by... I in that moment. No, you were good. I'm an interrupter by nature because I'm a youngest child and I need attention all the time. <laughs> this is turning into my therapy podcast. Um I think it's really interesting, and I was talking about this with some of my friends that have kids of varying ages from, you know, preschool, early elementary, middle school up through college. I think it's really interesting, and I've seen it sometimes in kids' books, that there's this character where it's the lovable idiot father, where the dad's like this huge screw-up, but he's still lovable, but the kids maybe aren't as close as they are with the mom. And so I thought it was really interesting because I forgot that the dad's kind of like the goofball, like screw up because of the family curse, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just kind of interesting to revisit that trope. And now I kind of want to make a list of all the books that I've read where that's 
kind of the thing. It's like the Disney thing with the stepmothers were always evil. I feel like you have these weird extremes. It's like the evil stepmother trope, the kind of lovable idiot father trope. And No, I think that's true. I think there's a ton of things like that. I think it's a huge sitcom trope, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Oh, that drives me crazy in, in TV shows that the parents are idiots and the kids are smarter than the adults. Like, I'm all about kids coming to, into their own, especially in, like, the fiction stuff where they have to solve the problems. I think it's a good way for you to start having, like, real kind of like adult-ish moments as a kid, but I don't like when they make every adult an idiot. Yeah. Except for one that's this like profit adult that you always go to. It's like, can we normalize that adults are doing the best they can in some of this stuff that we're putting out there? Totally. But said no one ever. Oh, Shia LaBeouf. Wasn't he good though? He He, he was good. And I liked the character who played Zero and I liked the relationship between Mm -hmm. him and Zero. It was uh, quite opposites with the, the one not being able to read and how sh- truly shocked Stanley was that he couldn't read. Totally. Yeah, that's that's that little perspective into mm-hmm. somebody else's life. I think that's the thing. Their friendship is the thing that stuck with me the most out of the, mm-hmm. after watching the movie. I found it so heartwarming. And wasn't it galling when the, the guy that's supposed to be like their therapist? Oh, <laughs> Pendansky. <Yeah. laughs> Pendansky. <laughs> I just like the names in this book. <laughs> when he says, nobody cares about Zero because Zero is homeless. And so he has like, he, I guess his file, they just fail him. And they do. They, don't, they do. They won't value him. And um, he doesn't have a strong family. Mm-mm. And he says, nobody cares about Zero. And then little cute, sweet Shia LaBeouf comes in and says, I do. And it's so sweet. Yeah. It gave me and chills. And they, yeah, they really reinforced that part about Zero, because when Pendansky comes in, he refuses to call anybody by their nickname, mm-hmm. except for Zero. Yeah. He because was. you know why he's called Zero? There's nothing in there um, kind of a thing. A so it was, it, was, it was terrible. I didn't like that at all. That, no. But then in the book, and not the movie, because I noticed that when, I, when you read, them, read and mm-hmm. watch that close together, you for pick sure. out the differences. In the book... Zero is able to do math in his head like a genius. Mm -hmm. But they didn't touch on that in the movie. And I understand they got to cut some stuff out. I mean, they only have so much time. But um, in the book, you get the sense that, yeah, Zero really has, he's really smart. He has something in there. He's Mm -hmm. not Zero, but he lets everybody think he is Mm -hmm. anyway. So I think that's something adults do sometimes when they're in positions of power. They do pick on, like, the most vulnerable kid to... I don't know what it is to bond with the other kids or mm-hmm. you know, some latent like school boy thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's gross. It's gross. I remember that happening in school and just mm-hmm. feeling like, I think that's another thing in, in middle grade fiction is that sense of injustice. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rebelling up against yes. that. You said it was your favorite, Manda. Why is it your favorite? Why was what my favorite? Middle grade. I think because of all the things you mentioned earlier, I think, I feel like, Earlier beginning chapter books, I'm thinking of like, um, not like the early, early ones, like um, Mercy Watson with the pig that loves toast and everything, but even some of the later (laughs) stuff, let's say like Stuart Little, Charlotte's Web, um, they're beautiful books and they have um, really good messages and I love them and they will always be classics for me and I will always recommend those to people. But I like that with middle grade, you start pulling away from like the animal stories, the more fantastical elements, not that there isn't middle grade fantasy that I enjoy and I know I've recommended on the podcast, but the 
realistic fiction in middle grade to me is giving kids the opportunity to start. Um, it's almost like it's giving them the opportunity to start acknowledging that they're growing up. It's kind of those, they start, a lot of them are almost like coming of age stories, right? These books are um, middle grade are great because it's giving kids the opportunity to expand and start to figure themselves out and start to figure the world out. Oh, and yeah. they're just really beautiful. They're really well-written. Like we've joked about the, on the podcast, I don't, these books did not exist when we were kids yeah. and the writers are getting better and better. And it's like, they hit the nail on the head. There are so many middle grade books on my Goodreads account that I would just recommend until the cows come home because there's so much good stuff out there. And I don't really know how to explain it other than I love that it's giving the children the opportunity to start growing up. They're growing up, but they do still have that like childhood mm-hmm. thing seeping in too. Yeah. And that's why. I think and they're still innocent. Yeah. They still want to believe you. Yeah. <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. They suspend disbelief. So you can have these mm-hmm wacky sort of comic moments like you get in holes where it's like crazy but it's in a little bit surreal Mm -hmm. but you still believe it because it's this kid world bridge to terabithia is a great example of middle grade it's like two kids a boy and a girl that become best friends and they create this whole imaginary place that they play in because that's what you do when you're in fourth grade, even fifth grade. My niece is in fifth grade and she still will play with her younger yeah. siblings. And there's still a certain level of imagination and silliness and playfulness. And, you know, I don't know if you've read this book yet or not, um, April. Oh, my God, you got to read this you book. It's so good. It. Cover your ears, April. So okay. there's a, a very um, major death at the end of the book. And so the book is about imagination to a point. But then it takes, grief takes over and it's like, how do you move on when there's this huge loss? And again, it's like a coming of age moment because you lose a sense of your innocence when you go through this huge loss in your life. And it is just such a fantastic book. And I know teachers still recommend that book. And that was written, what, 90s, early 90s? Yeah, it was late Late 80s, early 90s? Let me look it up. Okay. I dropped my pen, so let me grab that while you're doing that. Okay, Bridget Terabithia was written in 77. Get wow. out of town. I was two decades off. And you said 90s. I was like, I think I read it in the 90s. I... It's funny because I thought Holes was a lot older than it was. Yeah. Did you? Yes. Because I'm thinking, I must have read this in school. There's certain books that just I'm kind of feel way older timeless. Than you guys, so. Right? It yeah. does. Feel, it does. Feel, it feels, it feels, this is one. Because I was surprised there was one part in there when after um, Zero runs away, when the warden says, okay, we got to erase him from the computer. And I'm like, did they have computers when they wrote this book? (laughs) And then I looked at the date and I'm like, yeah, I guess they did. They didn't, I mean, it was 98, so they didn't have the internet. They didn't have what we consider computers now, but yeah, all the hospitals, all the um, correctional, they were all on, they were all computerized Mm -hmm. at that point. But I was like, one of those old, that was one of those things. I'm like, I could have swore that I read this in high school or junior high school or something. And no, I, I like. Didn't. I love when books leave out specific references to technology, mm-hmm. like fax machine, or if you know, if they say like a flip phone or like an iPhone, it's like just say that they use their phone, phone. because it's going to make this book more timeless, and kids can read it in fifty years and be like, "Yeah, I did, this book came out fifty years ago." It's like if you're as vague as possible with certain things, like yeah. saying computer versus saying like, "Oh, he's using his iMac Pro, yeah, laptop." I don't even know if that's brand. <laughs> and like a real laptop. 
the the Robotron seventy six. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can't even top that. It's so crazy. All right, get working branding people. Yeah, we want to see a Robotron. You're right about that. That mm-hmm. that technology piece because I I do read a lot of books that have series and you have mm-hmm. some series that are they go for I mean decades decades like you can Janet tell. Ivanovich's series with mm-hmm. Stephanie Plum. It's gone decades. She's on what thirty? Is this mm-hmm. the thirty? Is thirty is the one I'm on hold for right now? Mm. So thirty. Lot, but she now, but she hasn't aged in thirty years. Really? Still, yeah, she doesn't get any older, (laughs) and Grandma still hasn't. Grandma still needs that hip replacement. Grandma still needs that hip replacement. (laughs) Um, But she hasn't gotten any older. But when she first started, she didn't have a cell phone, and they were talking about the technology. And like, what seems like six months later, you know, thirty years later. But they talk about the technology so much that you catch that. That disconnect. Totally. How interesting. Yeah, I think it's weird, too, to think about how, okay, so this was written in 1998, Mm -hmm. which feels... Like a long time ago. No, it feels like yesterday. I know. I okay, know it does. feels like yesterday. My twenty fifth reunion is in May because I graduated in nineteen ninety eight. You guys. Oh my gosh. So there's a quote about the movie from Roger Ebert review, and he said, "I walked in expecting a movie for thirteen somethings, and I walked out feeling challenged and satisfied." Curious how much more grown up and sophisticated Holes is than Anger Management, which was a movie that came out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Adam kind of Sandler. Shots fired. Yeah, he hated Anger Management, but he loved Holes. Um, I think because it is a Disney movie, and Disney does that a lot. Mm-hmm. Even in their cartoons, mm-hmm. they it, it's, it's, it's almost like a a mandate to anybody that's making a movie for them. You have to appeal to more than just who you're appealing to. So the mm-hmm. cartoons have to appeal to older folks. So mm-hmm. they kind of hide the comedy yeah. that adults laugh at, so we're interested in it, mm-hmm. so that we'll take our little kid. I, mean, I know why they do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Holes does the same thing. You go in there thinking it's just going to be this kids, you know, kids taking over the world or kind of a, a movie. And then you get there and you see all the relationships and all the symbology and all that other stuff. And it mm-hmm. really ends up being a really good story that adults can enjoy as well. There's a reason that adults go to Disney World and Disneyland and smile so much, right? It's like there's some something in that magic that speaks to all of us on some really primal little kid level. I, when we went, I told my husband, we went to Disneyland. I'm like, I feel like I'm nine years old. I'm like, I can't stop smiling. I was so happy. It could be all the sweets I ate when I was there. Don't yeah. look at me like that, Olivia. It sounds Olivia. like someone slipped you something. Somebody maybe <laughs> slipped me something in my Mary Poppins bippity boppity cafe sweets that I had at like 7.30 in the morning when I was trying to frantically get onto the new Star Wars ride, which we did. And it was fantastic. That is cool. Yeah. The Harry Potter world. I thought I was going to not, I never went to Disney before. I didn't think I yeah. Gonna like it when I went to Harry Potter World, my eyes turned to heart. Yeah. I was so excited. There's I was a just kid. Disney is really good at doing that. And the other the other little stories I think appeal. Yeah. I was thinking that too. Sometimes just kids' fiction, I think they get away with more. They get to be more experimental. Mm-hmm. And I think the publishers of adult fiction are less likely to take those risks and they're usually like contemporary like things that adults understand, like a contemporary romance or science fiction, or whatever, rather than sort of the genre-bending. I would say this is genre-bending. I, I would, too, because, okay. yeah, it, it could be that neo-Western, but I almost see some of Hunger Games in it. Totally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the teens getting put into a position where they have to fight their way out. Do you want to, April, do you want to talk about the onions? 
the onions. Can you just talk about the onion scene for me? Because that's my favorite scene in the book. I just when, they find, when they find the onions? When they're eating the onions. It's just yeah, such a listeners. fun scene. It is. They they had just made it up to the, the ledge of the mountain. Mm-hmm. And in, in the book, he realizes he's slogging through mud. And then it dawns on him, you need water to make mud. Mm. And, uh-huh. and then as he's digging, trying to get to where the fresh water is, he pulls out these onions. He pulls out <laughs> an onion and he cleans it off and... Okay, he wipes it down, yeah. and then just takes a huge bite out of it. <laughs> and he tells um, Zero, who's, who's you know pretty much unconscious, and you know yeah. you think he's going to die any minute. From it's explosion. an ice cream ice cream sundae or yeah. something, and um, they eat the onions. And the important thing I think is to once we get to the end, we learn that it was important for them to eat the onions mm-hmm. in order to survive at the end. Right. So mm-hmm. that he kind of weaved that into it but he, i think in the story i think they didn't tell you why the onions were important until like after it was mm. you know so you didn't mm-hmm. really kind of get that you had to figure it out yourself you mm. were talking about symbolism in the beginning what do you think the onions symbolize in this book i mean they obviously have a very yes, real um, they, they they have a very real purpose because they push the story forward and it, it really ties mm-hmm. things it together really ties things end. together but i've been thinking about this like what is the symbolism in the onions Onions tend mm-hmm. to symbolize the layers and yeah. the peeling. And like I, Shrek. A truck. And I'm like an ogre. Or yes. I'm like an onion. I have layers. Layers. I have lots of layers. <laughs> and, and all the characters had different layers and different parts. Even, even the warden, as much as you don't like her, mm-hmm. it was her family that tried to steal the money from kissing Kate Barlow. And she buried it before she was bitten by one of those unknown lizards. Mm-hmm. And... So through the generations, the warden's family has been digging. It's their looking family for, curse It's their too. family curse as well. Mm, that um, obsession. So mm-hmm. you have all these layers to all, all the all the people and um, all the characters. And is this a successful movie adaptation, and why? I think it's a very good. I I think it followed the the book beautifully. I, it, it I think it also helped because I looked at the back of the the movie, and the screenplay was written by. Um, Louis Sacker. They had the author, so, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love when um, they do that. Me too. So yeah, there were some differences, like um, when something got said, the information was all there. It just wasn't necessarily this, the exactly the way it was in the book, but you got the information. They followed all the plots of the different um, the different things. They left a few things out, but sure. you have to. I mean, you got to condense it somehow. Right. But it was a really, really, really good adaptation. And I've seen some that have been really, really bad. I wonder if when authors do an adaptation of their own book into a script. So you're cutting, say, I don't know, 70% down to get it into a two hour time frame. I wonder if that's like kind of refreshing where you're like, oh, I can get rid of the parts that I actually mm-hmm. don't like after it went to press. Oh, yeah. Or if you're like, oh, this is my baby. Like, I don't yeah. want to shave my baby's head and get <laughs> yeah. rid of all the good parts, right? Yeah, that's the weird yeah. metaphor that came into my brain. <laughs> some I'm cutting of, your baby's <laughs> beloved curls off, okay? Yeah, 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 I get it. But some of what, what they <laughs> can do, some of the, head. you know, what they're doing, they can do through the imagery. Yes. So, oh, it's sure. not as hard to cut it down. Yeah, because you don't have to describe everything. You don't have to describe everything. Everything. showing us it's everything. showing you the desert you exactly. don't have to tell us how hot it is i already know exactly do you exactly. have a favorite movie adaptation before we move on to our activity yeah much the much ado about nothing yes. with emma thompson yes. oh my god that is mine and too the, and the thrill. chemistry between her and benedict in that movie it was mm-hmm. because they were actually married yes. in real life i didn't realize that until Ken, just a little Kenneth while Brand ago on her were actually married at the time so there's like this good like 
you know, sexual attention, chemistry. And then of course they wound up getting divorced and remarrying other people. But while they were doing it, it's like they were in the throes of passion in real life. So it, it, it makes their relationship so believable. Yes, I love everything about that movie, except for Sean Leonard, whatever. There's always gotta be one drawback, but so many fun things about that movie. Do you have a real quick, sorry, do you have a, a favorite Hamlet adaptation? Cause there's been a I lot. Haven't, I haven't seen any. Watch the Kenneth Branagh one. It's Oh, I love Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> Did you see the, but his Hamlet? I haven't seen his Hamlet. His Hamlet is like, are you ready for the activity? Okay. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I culled 10 quotes from YA and middle grade fiction. So Uh I'm going to read the quote and you guess which book it comes from. So you just write it down. So these are quotes. I looked up a bunch of like most beautiful quotes and why most of it came from a BuzzFeed article, which I thought was interesting. I love BuzzFeed articles. I was like surprised. They have some, that would be a fun job to write some of the BuzzFeed literary articles. Okay. So our listeners, you're going to want to play at home, play along with us. So pause, get a pen and paper, get ready. Here we go. Here's the first one. I have a theory that selflessness and bravery aren't all that different. Two. This is more of a middle grade. Don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of an unlived life. You don't have to live forever. You just have to live. Don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of an unlived life. You don't have to live forever. You just have to live. So this was middle grade. The first one was more YA? Yeah. Okay, next one. I try to think about how it all works. At school dances, I sit in the background and I tap my toe and I wonder how many couples will dance to their song. In the hallways, I see the girls wearing the guys' jackets, and I think about the idea of property, and I wonder if anyone is really happy. I hope they are. I really hope they are. YA? Yeah, YA. Squarely YA. The most YA of YA. Mm, I think I actually got one. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty. Okay. This is YA. uh, YA, almost adult, I would say. The words were on their way, and when they arrived, she would hold them in her hands like clouds, and she would wring them out like rain. The words were on their way, and when they arrived, she would hold them in her hands like clouds, and she would wring them out like rain. Historical fantasy. We feel cold, but we don't mind it, because we will not come to harm. And if we wrapped up against the cold, we wouldn't feel other things, like the bright tingle of the stars or the music of the aurora, or best of all, the silky feeling of moonlight on our skin. It's worth being cold for all that. What's the point of having a voice if you're going to be silent in those moments you shouldn't be? This is a more recent YA. What's the point of having a voice if you're going to be silent in those moments you shouldn't be? Uh, Seven is, if you want to know what a man's like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. If you want to know what a man's like, take a good look at how he treats his inferiors, not his equals. And this is fantasy. Middle grade-ish. I cannot think of that, but I know what it's from. And you're making eyes like I do, and I'm going to just put something. <laughs> okay, number eight. The worst part of holding the memories is not the pain. It's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. This is middle grade. Dystopian. The worst part of holding the memories is not the pain, it's the loneliness of it. Memories need to be shared. Oh, God. I can't think of the title. Number nine. When people don't express themselves, they die one piece at a time. 
when people don't express themselves, they die one piece at a time. And then the last one, number Wait, 10. Is that YA or middle grade? YA. Read it one more time, please. When people don't express themselves, they die one piece at a time. As he read, I fell in love the way you fall asleep, slowly then all at once. As he read, I fell in love the way you fall asleep, slowly then all at once. Okay, so the first one. I have a theory that selflessness and bravery aren't all that different. Would anyone like to guess? I have no idea. <laughs> I know it, but I don't know it. I'll give you a clue. It's dystopian, and we recently talked about it. Oh, it's divergent. Divergent, yeah, selflessness and bravery. Um, don't be afraid of death. Be afraid of an unlived life. You don't have to live forever. You just have to live. That's tuck everlasting. Ugh, don't have to it. live forever. I try to think about how it all works. School dances, blah, blah, blah. Do you know that one, Amanda? Perks of being a wallflower. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Um, the words were on their way, and when they arrived, she would hold them in their hands like clouds. That was the book thief. Oh, we okay. feel cold, but we don't mind it. That was the golden compass. What's the point of having a voice? That's the hate you give. Yes. <laughs> if you want to know what a man's like, that's Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Yes. I didn't know which one. Do I get it for Harry Potter? Yeah. The worst part of holding the memories is the giver. Yep. When people don't express themselves, that speak. Oh, I put Diary of Anne Frank. I'm like, I know this isn't right. I fell in love the way you fall asleep slowly and all at Fault once. Nurse ding, 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 ding. How'd you do? I didn't get any. But those I were hard. But I have seen every one of those books. Really? Yes. Have you read The Fault in Our Stars? Oh, no, I haven't. I'll read that oh, one. Do you, if you want to ugly cry, Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> cathartic okay, so you'll feel better at the i end do of a lot of audiobooks so i got to be careful what i listen to because oh. i cannot drive and cry at the same time all right don't do speak then don't do speak golden compass you golden compass is fun okay. um don't the, do um, what was the the one zusek book thief book thief book listen thief. to that that's a really good audiobook okay takes place in world war ii but it's fantastical elements because okay. yeah, de death is the narrator so it's very interesting okay. but get the book too because there's some stuff that they mention i feel like i'm really far from the microphone there's some stuff that they mention that obviously you can't see mm -hmm. so i would get the book too so you can kind of see the pictures they reference yeah, yeah i have pretty much every copy of every book i got 50 percent, so i good failed job. the quiz no that's yes. very good that's it was on a curve good. because i didn't get any so i don't think any. i would have gotten any i might i might have gotten the fault in our stars just because i've seen that so much on social media but I, I also thought the first quote was the fault in our stars and then i was like couldn't be twice it's definitely the last one the divergent yeah. quote the of, divergent one yeah. of all those i did read divergent yeah like divergent um okay. the hunger games and the vampire series Twilight. Twilight. Mm -hmm. Because at that time I had a student, um, which was one of my patients, who was um, a teenager, high school teenager, mm -hmm. and she was a high school teenager. Mm -hmm. And that's what she was reading, and I needed something to talk to Connect, her about. Yeah. And so I would read what she was reading. Oh, that's And it turned out that I liked, I liked him better than she did. <laughs> she liked Stop after like the first book, but I just kept going. And the Divergent so the, Yeah, the Divergent and, and especially the Vampire one because we oh, were like yeah. in a, yeah. who do you like better? Yeah, Which yeah, one? Yeah. Which guy is the... Jacob or yeah. Edward? I've read those uh, Jacob books. or Edward. Yeah. It's like trendy to make fun of those books now. I read those books in a weekend. I think I just like hunkered down. I remember when I, where I was when I read, and I just, she is so good with plot. You just want to mm -hmm. fly through them. 
and figure out what happens, which is, not, I haven't read a book like that in a while, actually. I want to read Da Vinci one Code was like that for me. It was oh, like yeah. such a page turner. I yeah. was like, I don't normally even read this kind of stuff, but I got so sucked in. And me then too. he'd leave the, the chapters on such cliffhangers. You're like, oh, I got to read one more chapter before my lunch breaks that. over. <laughs> and then you get to the next one. That. You're like, God, he did it again. So, all right, we've go. taken enough of you. Oh, April, will you tell us a little bit about the friends and what's been yes. going on? What's been going on with the friends? Well, one of the things I want to, we have our bookshop downstairs and we sell books. Every single one of the books that we've talked about is on, is in the kids section, probably in the Newberry or the award-winning books. Mm-hmm. It's all there. I have so many copies of all these books. Our bookshop is, is amazing. You can get books from 50 cents all the way up, you know, to two or three dollars and like five dollars for a book that was written in 2022. So, mm-hmm. you know, you that's a good deal. Good things. But one of the things I'm really proud of, of what we do is, is the outreach because we get donations. We get so much book and donations that we don't we don't have enough space to keep them. We don't sell enough. We don't have enough customers to keep the turnaround going. And we fill up the space with books. I mean, yeah, yeah. we floor to ceiling if we didn't get rid of them. But um, we have made some wonderful outreach partners and we give away books to kids. I, spe- I especially work towards giving getting a book in a kid's hand is my my goal in life yeah. is to just every kid should have books that they love. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Troy Days, we gave out 150 boxes of books. Wow. Amazing. Um, yeah, we left with 150 boxes. I think we came back with one. Um, I just donated a whole bunch of books to somebody who's sending them overseas. Nice. Just getting books in kids' hands is what what I really, what I really personally like to do. I take care of that part, the kids part of the my me and uh, uh, Elizabeth. We do the kids section. We've just mm-hmm. reorganized it yet again. Um, we have tons of picture books. We have you know people donate all this stuff. All the time. So. That bookstore is amazing. People always just rave about it. The first time they go down there, mm-hmm. they can't believe it. How many great books are down mm-hmm. there and the great mm-hmm. deals that you can get, especially, I mean, on, on every kind of book, there's, it looks like a real bookstore down there and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just an amazing mm-hmm. place. And our friends group, I, not to like throw shade on other friends groups, I'm sure they're great, but I can't imagine having a cooler friends group than the Friends of the Troy Public Library. We are so lucky. Mm-hmm. We would have talked about this in the intro too, but they support all of our programs mm-hmm. that we do mm-hmm. here at the library. We wouldn't be able to do it without them. So they work so hard. No, and I, I can't imagine grateful. other friends groups have as wonderful of a staff either that we, we, we really do work well. It's the cool. two groups work really, really well together. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah we're lucky ducks. Well, thank you for doing all of that. And thank thank you you for for being here today and being such a great guest. It's so good to revisit this book. Mm -hmm. And thank you, friends of the Troy Public Library, for all that you do to support us here. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org slash podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.